a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome, my friends, my colleagues, my partners in crime. How goes it on this fine recording day? Oh, it goes so well. I'm, I'm feeling very content today. I'm, I'm, I'm kicked back with a delicious dram of Lagavulin scotch whiskey. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm into it today. Oh, excellent. Josh, how about you? I'm also doing great. I'm doing pretty hazelicious, if I do say so myself. Uh, That just happens to be the name of my beer that I'm drinking. It's a hazy IPA. Wow. I don't actually know where it's from. I'm like looking at the can and it's from Ruben's Brews, but I have no idea. I obviously got this at a store somewhere, Yeah, but I don't know where it's from. It's delicious. What about, oh, it's from Ballard. It is from here in Seattle. Oh, I'm so sorry. Excellent. I'm enjoying a good old, nice Nalgene bottle of water. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Just as God intended. I'm <laughs> so, God yeah. intended. <laughs> I've come to the point where I've realized that really my beverage options are limited while being pregnant. <laughs> so mm. I'm just enjoying water until little Thea decides to make her entrance in the world and then I can enjoy drinks again. I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I think Nalgene is the superior choice to Hydro Flask. Oh, for sure. Ooh, yes. Room temperature water. Speaking of disagrees. (laughs) Speaking of the way God intended, it's room temperature water that is the most delicious and most satisfying. You should not always have ice water. That is true. Just like soup. Um, but no, Emily, I can't join. No, we can't. We can't do this. You're right. That was a that was a whole Twitter. <laughs> that was a fight low that, blow that I won. Absolutely um, not, Emily. You since didn't. you do have a Nalgene with you, what's yeah. your opinion? Are stickers on their way out? No. Uh, okay. Hot take. Okay. Why would? Why? What? Why? Yeah, why? I, I'm just I'm just bringing it up for consideration. That's all. Uh, Josh, are you trying to pick a fight with a pregnant lady? <laughs> Do you guys want to commit to now Forgive that we're me, no. okay? Now that we're having, because like I like the stickers. I like stickers on bottles. I like stickers on guitar cases and drum cases and uh, whatever else. I yeah. don't. Okay, I do my... too. But I think it's our generation. the The kids aren't doing it that much anymore. Mm, the kids. Well, the kids. So at the, the at the time we're recording this, this won't come out for another few weeks. I think by the time That's this true. episode is out, I think we should say that we will have Ravel stickers available on the Highline Network merch store Ooh, solid drop steven i think we should do oh, it cool so okay cool well ravels, let's do it then ravel stickers up on the merch store go to highline.network and check them out if you want a cool sticker for your water bottle absolutely grab or a no normal people case. sticker there while you're there as well absolutely well josh it was funny that you mentioned that i should forgive you uh for even bringing up <laughs> this crazy topic um but 
I actually want to talk about the idea of forgiveness. Mm. Um, and I'm interested about the idea of forgiveness. Partially, Stephen, you had a nice segue in our last episode about sin when you were talking about the Lord's Prayer. And recently, I, I don't know what what is going on or why this is coming about, but the idea of forgiveness just keeps popping into my head. Mm. And I really I don't have an agenda. I don't have any specific questions. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around the idea of forgiveness and how we as humans have this element of forgiveness and how do we utilize it? Do we not utilize it? Are we using it appropriately? What is forgiveness supposed to do or supposed to look like? What what do we do with forgiveness? And I think part of it is this idea of theodicy and you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And I remember I had a woman in my congregation who was talking about this horrendous crime that happened to a child. And she just blurted out, how am I supposed to forgive this person? And I think as Christians and just an entire population of people in general, regardless of what your faith belief is, we have this thing called forgiveness and we're supposed to utilize it hopefully i just want to make sense of it like what is forgiveness supposed to look like and what does it actually do and those are good questions part of me wants to say forgiveness is so powerful because it's counterintuitive mm. oh i love that say yeah. more about that could you preach it josh like for instance it's so much more of a natural response to want to cause retributive justice or to punish or to like revoke something like negative reinforcement. But forgiveness, like the unrighting of wrongs, in my mind seems counterintuitive. Like, I don't think we often want to do that. But is that the only reason it's powerful and or Christian, so to speak? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm, that's interesting. The first thing that leapt to my brain, Emily, was I, I, I don't think I've ever framed it with these words before, but I, I almost feel like forgiveness isn't necessarily an action or a choice, but rather a way of life. Ooh. Almost like, like I do a lot of thinking about like the systems in my life and like habits. I was one of those like very stuck on like the book, like Atomic Habits or The Power of Habit or all these like self-help gurus preaching the idea of like basically pre-programming your brain to follow through on a particular action based on triggers. And I almost, I almost conceptualize of forgiveness as a way of life that we are trained to like embody by following Christ. It's like, it's we're pre making the decision to offer that counter intuitive forgiveness for wrongs like perpetuated against us and others. I also think that forgiveness is like somehow flipping the power script. Uh, like when we are wronged, mm. it's often like by someone who has the power to wrong us in some way, like whether they are in a relationship or they're in like some sort of authority over us that enables them to abuse us. But then when we forgive someone who has wronged us, I think by doing so, whether or not it has an effect on them or it's just an effect on us, I think it therefore puts the power back in our hands because we're saying, 
we have the power to like over you to forgive your wrong. Are there things that are unforgivable? Ooh. Oh, by us. Yeah. However, are there things that are oh. unforgivable by us? Are there things that are unforgivable by God? Whichever. I think that I would say like in my theology, I don't think that anything is unforgivable by God. Like I don't I don't think God is unwilling to forgive anything specific. Now, how that gets translated into our human lives, I think a natural tendency would be to say like that is absolutely unforgivable. Like you cannot you will not treat me that way or, you know, it is unforgivable that a mother's child was murdered and yet somehow Sometimes those mothers actually find forgiveness and offer it to the perpetrator in some way. Like, is there anything that we can do that could, like, completely detach us from forgiveness? I guess the Bible says something about, like, is it neglecting the Holy Spirit? I'm even forgetting the verse no, now. blaspheming. Blaspheming Bla- the yeah. Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The, the, the header in my new King James Version says the unforgivable sin. Yep. So, like... I don't know. Emily, how do you think about that verse in this context? Ooh, um I would I would want to look at the original language mm-hmm. and and kind of parse that out, but that's the nerd in me. But also a part of me reads that and the first thing that I see is that it's not against another human being. So what do we do with that? <laughs> Well, I mean, not to relitigate our entire last episode, but that kind of does reawaken the concept of sin directly against God in some way. I've heard some people explain that verse particularly as it referencing like people who don't know God. And maybe mm. that's a translation thing. I'm not entirely sure how they arrive at this conclusion, but I've heard people explain it as it's like the words are implying that it's referencing people who just straight up don't know God. And that's the reason for them blaspheming God somehow is because they don't know God. Sure. Mm. And so therefore God is not obligated to forgive them somehow because they don't know God. So I think that somehow makes a little bit more sense that like the people who don't want to know God, God isn't going to forgive rather than someone just like cursing God out of frustration. And somehow that's the unforgivable sin. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Those, I, I've seen people frame it as like God putting our autonomy back in the picture. Sure. Which is maybe just like a Baptist thing. Not totally sure. But like God giving us the freedom to for if we don't want to be known by God, God isn't going to force God's self on us mm. to forgive mm-hmm. us. But also, I'm not entirely sure I buy that or not. I don't know if that's my opinion. That's right. just like an explanation I've heard. What do we do with the idea of forgive and forget? Like, can we truly forgive something and forget about it? Mm. The reaction in my chest just now was a lot of anger. I do not like that phrase. I I hate it. Mm. Well, what do you think about the... Actually, no, Stephen, I want to hear, like, why you've had this, like, visceral reaction about that concept. Like, why, why so strongly opposed to that? Or do you know? Well... If I'm going to try and put words to it, I think there's something to this counterintuitive nature that you put your thumb on to, you know, offer forgiveness, offer the metaphorical olive branch in a way, you know, like 
taking some slight, taking some sin or taking some uh, violence out of circulation is how I frame forgiveness, like taking it out of circulation. Because like if, if you only respond in kind, forgiveness has not happened. And now we're in that cycle of retributive justice that just constantly escalates. Right. But I think it is dangerous or maybe another word is naive to imply that forgetfulness ought to be paired with taking violence out of circulation. Like while I think it is the Christian imperative to, I mean, if I'm going to take it to extremes, I think it is the Christian imperative to forgive the actions of the Nazi regime. I think it would be incredibly dangerous for us to Mm. forget the sins of the Nazi regime for the risk of history, if not all out repeating itself, at least rhyming in a way that we could have been able to say, like, us as a globe have gone that direction and we know how that ends. So, like, let's deal with it now. I think forgetfulness sure. is dangerous because it it implies that, I don't know, uh, I'm like uh, the verse about being cunning as serpents and wise and gentle as doves is coming to mind. Like that's almost like a picture of forgiveness to me in a way. It's like mm. offering forgiveness, but not letting forgetfulness like cloud my memory in a way that I would be blindsided by the same offense again. Yeah. I've heard some people try to define forgiveness as quote unquote, not dwelling on something anymore. And I'm not sure if that comes from like some sort of biblical translation or if someone just made up that definition. But I think I kind of like that idea. Not dwelling on. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's almost like just like throwing away your scorecard, right? And I'm no longer going to even participate in, you know, positive and negative points based on the game we're playing, but I'm just going to get rid of the scorecard and we're just going to live together or something. Yeah. That's the way that's the way I think of that. Like I'm not going to dwell on the fact that I have a bunch more points than you or that you have a bunch more points mm-hmm. than me. I'm just we're just here together. Well, and I I like that definition too because if we're to use Stephen's example of the Nazi regime, we're not dwelling on the Nazi regime and what they've done, but we're not forgetting about. We're remembering like we we have this awareness that's there, but we're not constantly devoting our attention to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because to mm. dwell on it, it's almost like I don't know why my brain is going to the phrase. It's like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person. But like that's mm-hmm. that's almost what it is to harbor unforgiveness is to like relive the moment so much that they offended you or that they slighted you or even physically injured you to like relive that moment so many times. Neuroscience now is telling us that every time we recall a memory, it's like we're taking a book off a shelf and like making a slight alteration to the page every time. Like sometimes whole memories get rewritten every time we pull it off the shelf again. Stephen, you brought up something earlier about like a mother, let's say like a a horrible crime or, you know, their child was murdered and it it took them years down the road to, to forgive. Have you guys ever heard the phrase of quick to forgiveness? Yes. No, I don't think so. How do you feel about that phrase, Stephen? And Josh, at least how I've heard it, quick to forgiveness is this idea that we are so quick to just want to move on from the moment or from the situation that we don't actually 
allow space for forgiveness and like to actually think on what the consequences of that moment was. And one of them, I remember it was actually a mother who had lost a child. And it was like a week after the funeral, she went onto the news and was like, you know, I forgive the the man who killed my child, blah, blah, blah. And there were so many people who then on social media were calling her out and saying, you are so quick to forgive, you know, are you allowing space to grieve? What's wrong with this woman and blah, blah. And like attacking her essentially because she was in a place that she felt that she could forgive, but to everyone else, they thought it was too quick. How do we determine when is an appropriate or right time to forgive and why like why should we care when other people forgive or don't for like even if people don't forgive why should like why should we care i guess it depends on like how we even define like what forgiveness is like is it only the act of saying oh i forgive you or i don't forgive you or is it like something radically different like when you first brought this up the first example that came to mind was the the active shooter event that happened in an Amish schoolhouse years ago. And I don't remember exactly how many people were killed or wounded, but the shooter, I believe, survived. And the Amish community started forming a relationship with the shooter and his family. Mm. And to me, that seems like I could be getting some details wrong. Uh, so please, if someone is listening and I got some details wrong, please correct me. But at, just as an example, that stands out to me in my mind as a much more radical definition of like what the action of forgiveness is versus like just saying, we're not going to think about that anymore. Like we're going to forget about it or like we're going to act as if it didn't happen. They very much did act like it happened, but they like turned a completely different direction with it. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm resonating. (laughs) I'm resonating with my own statement about forgiveness being (laughs) a way of life. (laughs) I'm sorry, please continue. I know that's a dumb way to phrase that, but like, Man, I've never thought of forgiveness as a way of life, but I think the more wise we are in the spirit, I think the quicker we will be to forgiveness. Josh, I love that example. That was one in my head already. Uh, The other example I have was the shooting at Emmanuel AME in Charleston, where Mm. Dylan Roof attended a Bible study a couple times, basically to get the lay of the land and then brought a gun once. And in the aftermath of that, like family members one by one, when they got to see him at a bond hearing, members of this church, family members of, you know, deceased victims one by one made eye contact with him and like spoke to him and said, like, you took something very precious and I will never be able to speak to my grandmother again, but I forgive you, you know? And like, I don't see how any form of that counterintuitive response comes out of not being trained in that way of life, in that way of forgiveness for a considerable amount of time. Like I I, I can't even Mm. imagine experiencing the heartbreak and then also getting to meet the murderer, like the, the perpetrator of the crime, getting to meet them and like looking them in their face and saying, I forgive you. My God calls me to forgive you and, and lay this down. And like, I'm, I'm going to take this out of circulation for both our sakes. You know, if I dwell on this too much, then I am going to develop hatred for you. And that that is both poison to me and inappropriate to you in the way that God asks me to treat my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I think as far as a timing thing, like Jesus himself is 
screaming on the cross, like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like, in the midst of the crime being perpetuated, he's asking for forgiveness for the people around him. And I can't really get away from the fact that 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 is a way of life that is trained in us. And probably, like, I would argue the very root of the Christian faith. Mm. Has that always been your train of thought, Stephen? No, no, especially when in in conversations around sin and atonement, forgiveness was more like a balancing of the scales or, you know, paying off some form of loan. Um, Mm. Mm-hmm. When you speak of sin and you speak of forgiveness as like there's a debt that must be paid and that it was paid by Jesus, you can say however many times you want that not only did Jesus get you out of debt for that sin, but he also put so much blessing and so much goodness in your account that God will never, ever recognize one of your sins again. Like your sins are washed white as snow, past, present, and future. Like you can preach that as much as you want. But as long as it's framed in a debt language, like I could only ever truly experience the debt language as Jesus gets us back to zero, but now we still have to act Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't get us negative again, which is that is how I interpret or have had the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit preached to me was, you know, if you recognize at one point in your life that Jesus paid all your debt and also like put so much metaphorical money in your account that you could never be negative again, but somehow then want to reject that, then that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit and you'll never get your salvation back. Like, you know, it gets tied to salvation. It gets tied to your definition of sin and penal substitution in atonement theories and all that stuff. But if forgiveness is a way of life, it seems so much more generative and it seems so much more, I mean, generous, like there's an ever flowing stream of forgiveness available if we train ourselves in that way of life i like the way you're like talking about it as uh like a practice or like a way of life or like a commitment or like whatever you want to call it but i just can't stop thinking about like is there a functional difference between obligatory forgiveness versus voluntary forgiveness Mm, or does one lead to another or something like that that's kind of where my mind's at. oh interesting what would you view as a obligatory forgiveness well, that to me that's kind of seems the way that you're talking about it Stephen. in that if forgiveness is a way of life in some way it's obligatory mm-hmm. like if you're going to commit to it mm-hmm. then there's almost no other option or if like jesus is calling us to a life of forgiveness then like m- maybe we'll fall short and we'll have to forgive ourselves but like we're supposed to shoot mm-hmm. for forgiveness mm-hmm. in some way mm-hmm. But is that sort of like pressure for forgiveness or committal forgiveness markedly different in any way from voluntary forgiveness? Or are they related? Is it truly forgiveness if it is not voluntary? Yeah, that's kind of where my mind's at. That's a good question. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like just initially thinking about it. Like I can think of, like for instance, maybe to like extract the conversation to something else, I can be generous in a committal way. Like I can commit mm-hmm. to certain forms of generosity, but it's still voluntary. Like I'm choosing to do it out of mm. my own volition, even if I feel influenced by Christianity to commit to it. Sure. And I think you could look at forgiveness the same way. Like you can volunteer 
your forgiveness towards somebody in a committal way. Like, it's still a choice, right? I think the difficulty for me, like, I agree with you, Stephen. I think Christianity perhaps is calling us towards a radical way of living in the sense of loving our enemies through forgiveness. I think that the difficulty that I hear people talking about is when it comes to abusive situations or even systemic situations, like how do you, I think it gets really choppy telling people that they need to forgive people when they were really hurt by something. Yeah. Like what's the line of, how do you walk the line of forgiveness, but also like recognizing people's hurt and struggle and maybe holding intention that they aren't quite ready to forgive something that happened because they're still like they're dwelling on it in the sense that they're still processing through it. Oh, absolutely. And that could be like a variety of situations in my mind. Yeah, I can think of like even just personally myself, there are things that I'm still processing that. Oh, yeah. That I've yet to forgive. Hmm. I think that's why I like the dwelling on it analogy, like whether you are whether it's like constantly in your mind or like you don't even think about it anymore. I think that I like that better than the forgive and forget thing, even though it's really similar. But like, for instance, like when humans get put into fight or flight mode, or actually that's kind of disputed. There's like some people add in some extras in there. Um, But like when you're put into fight or flight, like that situation is all you can think about. Like you are thinking about how to deal with or get out of the situation that you're in. And when people are in that sort of like stress or you might even call it a trauma response. That's a really different situation than being on the other side of something and looking at it in hindsight. Sure. And I think hindsight is not just 2020, but it's like way easier to forgive in hindsight. When you like look back at a situation and it's not actively affecting you anymore, I think it's a lot easier to forgive for mm-hmm. one, but you're also not in that like active stress response either. Mm. Do you feel like it's easy to forgive or like for you personally, is it easy to forgive or is it situation by situation? Oof, man, that's a really good question. I feel like when I like Stephen, you brought up a great example, Jesus actively dying on the cross and screaming, forgive them, father. They know not what they do. I think it's easy for us to hear that and to say, well, it's easy for Jesus to forgive, but I would argue that it, that it really wasn't. And I wonder how do we feel about for us personally having to forgive or wanting to forgive? Is it something that's easy or is it really a contextual thing and it depends on what's happening? Because as much as I would like to say, oh, it's so easy to forgive, like I'm a pastor, of course it's easy to forgive. Uh, That's not true. Like I just said moments ago, there's there are still people in my life that I'm still struggling to forgive. And I think that's just the, I I don't know if there's a human element to it or it's just a very, very personal thing, but I feel like I want forgiveness to be easy, but I also don't want it to be so easy to where it's routine and mundane and not authentic. Hmm. I think you might be bordering on the boundary between what I probably think is authentic forgiveness versus like a forgive and forget model. It becomes routine if your habit is to forget, but like to not forget and yet forgive takes an incredible amount of mindfulness and like 
conscious thought, in my opinion, like the way I conceptualize that. Like if you're not letting your mind disengage when you are forgiving and you're not forgetting, then it probably doesn't become any less, I don't know, painful or like authentic as long as you're remaining engaged in the action. That's kind of my first thought. I think personally, I find forgiveness very easy. I don't know how much of that could possibly come into the nature versus nurture debate. Like I've been wondering, mm. is forgiveness a trend or like a uh, an aspect of someone's personality? Like I am very high in agreeableness and openness. So does that bias me toward being able to forgive mm. a lot easier? Whereas someone who is higher in something like conscientiousness or neuroticism, would they find it harder to forgive? And yet maybe it means even more coming from them. Mm. That's a curious question for me. That would be really interesting to know. Emily, my first instinct when you asked that question was, I think it's hardest for me to forgive myself. Yes. Mm. Oh, that's such a nine thing to say. (laughs) nice you got me nice um you also reminded me of there's this thing in social psychology called the fundamental attribution error have you guys heard of it yes Mm -hmm. steven do you know oh give us the 101 i've heard of okay so i couldn't tell you what it is it is the tendency of uh when something goes wrong for you, you're more likely to blame your situation or your context. But when something goes wrong regarding somebody else, you have a tendency to blame them personally. Wow. They are bad. They have it out for me. They Mm -hmm. blank, blank, blank. Instead of acknowledging their situation and context, it's a very imbalanced thing, but we are very likely to do it. Wow. But on the flip side, I was just thinking about like regarding forgiveness, I think in a really weird way, I'm much more likely to forgive other people in like trying to empathize with their situation or their context or like things that are affecting them. And then like regarding myself, I'm much more likely to, I've like really struggled with this before. I'm much more likely to like demonize myself or just not forgive myself, like not look past what I've done wrong or uh, to be honest, just like dwell on it way more and like self critique way more than I'm likely to dwell on it regarding other people yeah. and i'm not really sure what to call that but i've just like noticed that in myself that very before. cleanly fits with your operating definition of dwelling on yeah, yeah. Oh, if, sure. you, if you can't stop dwelling on even the sense of shame or embarrassment you feel of like causing a specific reaction in someone or like even accidentally i don't know commit sin or something against someone else and now you're ruminating on everything you could have done to fix that or like you're piecing together every second leading up to it. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. That, that is an element of unforgiveness toward yourself, which also highlights kind of that odd relationship I was trying to point out in the last episode where it's like, yes, there's a social component to sin. And I think in the same way we can say there's a social component to forgiveness, but there's also like some form of like, we have a relationship with ourselves that is, very hard to put your finger on when you start talking about like are our thoughts our own are they given to us from somewhere else or like you know like what does it mean to not be able to forgive yourself like i feel like there's a possibility Mm. that another culture exists in our world or 
in the universe that's like, what are you talking about? Like, you can't, yeah. you can't forgive yourself. And yet we, you know, we try and theologize around that idea. That's also very curious. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Into Podcast. We can only view it like through the context, like of what we were raised in, the religion that we were handed, and trying to make sense of it all. But basically, the only thing that's originally Kevin right now is his brain. Is he a human or a robot? Is he Kevin or not Kevin? Every time we have certain conversations, I immediately know that I feel, but not why I feel. Mm. And now, back to the conversation. What do you think is happening, or what do you even think like some Christians think is happening in the act of forgiveness? Like like last episode, we started to get into uh, like the effect of sin or like what sin actually mm. is or could be. Like, do we think that forgiveness is somehow like a reversal? Like Jesus talking about like the upside down kingdom and like things being like restorative instead of retributive mm. because like in some instances I can look back and think like, Oh, that situation or that wrong that I felt wronged by, I don't really dwell that on that anymore. I don't feel like it affects me anymore. I don't feel anger anymore, but nothing was really restored. Like nothing was reversed. Mm. So like is forgiveness something different than like a full restoration or resurrection or, or like when Jesus was praying that, God would forgive his executioners, what was he expecting? Mm. What was he actually asking for? Mm. That's a... Is it just a mindset? Is forgiveness is just a mindset, you know? <laughs> like, is that it? Maybe that's it. Well, I mean, I have called it a way of life a couple times, which is yeah, basically mindset. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I, I feel like that's just a... That's too easy of an answer, and that would just be the end of the episode. <laughs> Maybe it is just like a perspective change on recognizing each other's humanity and faults and realizing that we're just like all in the journey of life together. But maybe that sounds too hippie for most people. I don't know. Mm. I think it sounds perfectly hippie. And I think <laughs> perfectly I think hippie. What what you said though sets apart words like condone or pardon. You know, I think in that sense, it kind of changes how we view it. So they're not equal to condoning or pardoning. And I I like that, but I don't want it to be that simple. But maybe I also want it to be that simple. I don't know. <laughs> I brought up this question last episode about like whether or not there are things that God tolerates, but aren't necessarily sin. And I'm like still thinking about that, to be honest. I don't know where to go with that. But like, does forgiveness somehow tie into that? Like, are there some things that God just like 
is is that maybe what God's forgiveness is where he, God is like, well, I'm just going to I'm going to look past that. Like I'm going to not cash your check on that or something. I don't know. Like hmm. what's the relationship between God accommodating our faults and like looking past the harm that we do and forgiveness? Cuz like not everything is restored immediately, right? Like we've all done wrong, we've mm-hmm. all been wronged, and restoration and moving on looks different for every situation. And I mean, if you think about, we're going to continue to fault and be faulted against, like that's just a reality of of life, right? I almost feel like with that question, Josh, a part of me almost doesn't like that, and maybe it's how I'm interpreting it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when I, if I were to view it in that sense, I almost feel like God would be sweeping it under the rug but it's still there so like Mm. not paying mind to it doesn't actually forgive you know what i mean like it doesn't actually change what's happening whereas i think forgiveness allows that space for change to take place so you think that forgiveness is fundamentally transformative yeah yeah like there's an active role for something like justification or sanctification like we're actually dealing with the problem we're not just looking past it for the sake of preventing conflict Mm -hmm. we are Mm. dealing with it head on because like the words of the psalmist are echoing in my head where he talks about our god removing his sin like separated from him as far as the east is from the west yeah you know god takes my sin and does something with it like he's he's putting it in a designated place is almost the way that the psalmist conceptualizes of it like i'm going to take this candle from the table and put it on the shelf yeah and at our scale like it just seems like our sins are infinitely far away in our experience of god's forgiveness as god puts that sin somewhere else somehow which kind of comes back to how I think of like sin as or uh, forgiveness as like taking sin or taking slight or taking fault out of circulation almost. It ends the cycle, but you still you have to do something with it. You can't just cover it up or look past it right. in some way, you know. And I feel like acknowledgement is the first step towards like I have to acknowledge that something was done or I've done something in order to then act to change on it, like to change it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, there there is a radical move that forgiveness does where both the person being forgiven and the person offering forgiveness both have to reach a very concrete common ground where they recognize that the person being offered forgiveness did, in fact, do that thing that warrants forgiveness. You know, and that's so then that's that, how painful that brings up, it becomes. That brings up a good question then, because I don't know if you've heard this phrase, but it's forgiveness is more for the one forgiving rather than the one being forgiven. Mm-hmm. I and I I don't agree with that either. And I think you're you're touching on that very nicely, because if it was in t- if it was meant for be if it was meant to be for the one who was doing the forgiving, then wh- what's the point if it? is not meant for the one being forgiven. Like if it doesn't have any effect or is not meant to have an effect, why do it in the first place? Wow. Yeah. That is a great thing to bring up because like, are we saying then that the act of dying on the cross was more for Jesus than it was for us? Right. I think we would argue no. 
but then what do we do with that? Right. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it inspires such a, a, like a visceral reaction to like, oh my gosh, you are calling out in me something I did wrong. And I, I must equally recognize that I did that wrong in order for it to be taken out of circulation. It's almost like we finally found common ground. Like we both agree that mm-hmm. you sinned against me in some way. And now the forgiver takes it out of circulation and says, in spite of all that, I forgive you. And there's no debt between us. There's only love between us. And that can inspire different reactions in people. This. Okay. So this, mm-hmm. this is the theology guys that makes me question Christian universalism the most is actually this actual this foundation oh. of forgiveness because I always think of forgiveness now in terms of the fantastic book in the fantastic musical Les Miserables. Ugh. I don't know if I said that right. I don't know how to speak French, but um, so <laughs> in in the beginning, Valjean is in the monastery at the top of the mountain, right? And he's a criminal who stole bread, and now he's on. Like he's escaped or he's on parole and following in his old way of life, he now steals like the gold and silver pieces out of the monastery and attempts to abscond with them. The soldiers catch him, bring him all the way back up the mountain to the monastery and present him as a criminal to the priest saying like, this guy stole all your stuff. And the priest turns around, does the counterintuitive thing and offers the most beautiful picture of forgiveness that I've ever encountered. When he says, like, no, I I actually gave those to this guy, even though they both knew he didn't. And then he turns around and he's like, but my friend, you forgot these candlesticks. And it, it like, instead of taking the stuff back and being like, well, I forgive you, but don't do it again. Like a slap on the wrist. He's like, no, I actually gave those to you. And in fact, I want to give you more from my table. Let me give you these candlesticks. And what it inspires is an entire life shift in the character of Jean Valjean. Where he's like, if a human being can do this, maybe that means that I'm not a criminal and then I'm not like depraved at heart because like the entire social justice structure in the story is very retributive. And that's represented in the character of Javert, who is like, you must pay for your crimes, you know, haul these boats up into the dock like you stole a loaf of bread and now you're going to do hard labor for 10 years. Now you're going to go on parole. And this priest, like, he just takes all of that out of circulation by saying, like, guards, you're fine. You can leave. I actually gave all this stuff to this guy. And, in fact, you forgot these candlesticks. And that inspires such a heart change in him. But when the exact same thing happens later in the story, when Jean Valjean offers the forgiveness to the man who has hunted him for decades now, to Javert, and he's like, I'm going to take this out of circulation what that does in Javert who's played by Russell Crowe in the movie is it inspires such a revulsion he's like no like this is not how justice works and he eventually commits suicide because he just cannot handle being offered such a radical example of forgiveness and grace and like in his Mm. paradigm he is so entrenched in eye for an eye tooth for a tooth like justice must be enacted equal and opposite that He just can't handle it. And he eventually like makes this quick descent into some form of nihilism where he's like, I don't know what to do with people who are this loving and this forgiving, even though I have committed sins against him for 
our entire relationship together. Like I've always been his slave master. And now that he has the opportunity to like kill me, put me out, like put me in chains, he doesn't, and he doesn't know what to do with it. And that is like, that is why (laughs) the concept of Christian universalism, like I can speak of universalism all I want, but like, it's also why I have this like conflict within me about like forgiveness can be offered freely and universally. But if I truly believe that we have the agency that I actually believe we do, like it is actually possible to reject it and like come to a place where Mm. taking your own life is better than living with that paradox and living with that contradiction between justice and forgiveness. Whoa. Stephen, I really like this example that you've brought up because I think we somehow touched on it earlier, but I, the more I think about it, I really think there is a very direct relationship between forgiveness and generosity. And maybe it's just in that forgiveness has to be given. Mm. But like your example mm. about like the priest like having this radical fork in the road, like he could have just said, oh, I forgive you, but he gave something. Mm. And that in itself was the act of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, right. He gave more. I don't know. I just like can't stop like, thinking He gave about up that. his rights to ownership to the stuff yeah. that was actually and factually mm-hmm. stolen. And then he just yeah. piled right. it on top even more in an expression of love. Can that be applied to non-material things, though? So... Mm. Let's say the act wasn't stealing. Oh my god, okay, okay. So if we as humans, (laughs) if we as humans in some uh, primordial or like metaphysical way have stolen the knowledge of good and evil from God and God in his infinite grace and kindness in his act of forgiveness says, you stole that, but you can have that and you can also have everything in Christ, you may have the mind of Christ. You may have everything is permissible and beneficial. Things change once we're in the mind of Christ. And instead of like trying to bring us back to a place where we don't have the knowledge of good and evil, God is able to just say like, you stole that from me, but I will heap even more on top and even more paradox and even more counterintuitive nature about how the universe behaves. Um, what's that mm. one verse in Proverbs about like heaping burning coals on someone's head? Do you know what I'm talking about? On it. Like, I feel like I heard a lot of people try to explain that as kindness is really just like a different way to get back at your mm. enemies or something like that. Right. Well, I know there's one. It's um, uh, what is it? Proverbs 25. What does that one say? Do you have it? I do. Yeah. Uh, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. So uh, a couple years ago, a teacher pointed out that back then it was very common to like, because a lot of them were nomadic still, it was very common to like carry stuff on your head as you like went between encampments and you often had to like keep coals burning. Oh. And because of like the nature of the environment, like that was critical for life, like whether it was water or cooking or mm. protection or like whatever, like mm-hmm. especially at that stage of civilization, like fire is so essential to life. And so this teacher pointed out that like it's really a drastic misreading, like it's a very modern reading to say like being kind to someone is like hurting them in a strange way, but like. A, a reader back then would have seen it as like by doing these, like by taking care of them, you are giving them life. Like you are taking care of them. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. And you are giving them all that yeah. they need. And like, that's what they really right. need. And that mm. just like completely changed my perspective on that. Like, I think that that is a very distinct perspective shift on not just loving your enemies, but forgiveness, generosity, maybe we call it grace, like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Those are very closely tied together, I think. Like the more that I think yeah. about those. No, that's a good point. It's very interesting. I like this epiphany, Emily, that you just inspired when when you asked, like, can it become metaphysical or non-physical in a way? Like, yeah, is that not what we see in the biblical story is like humanity stole the knowledge of good and evil from somewhere we shouldn't have been. And just like the oh. priest in Lame is like God says, yeah, you stole all that stuff. And now here's more. And he gives us Christ through it. That is like that Ooh. is what it feels like to me. And that is the radical nature of the forgiveness. Like, that's why we talk about forgiveness is that that Christ takes that sin, takes that slight out of circulation by absorbing it into the cross. Like Brian Zond always talks about, like, we sin our sin into Jesus on the cross so that Jesus, so that Christ may live his life through us through the resurrection. But I want to point out that it wasn't an instant thing. It took how many years how much time for that to unfold in in les mis so, you mean or in the bible or both i guess in the yeah. bible okay and so i think what's powerful about that is this idea that transformation doesn't have to be instant and i think the moment that god i think when we read the story of adam and eve and we see that they're you know banned from the garden and we now have all these things that we are toiling with i think Hidden in that is the moment where God acknowledged the moment of forgiveness and then the act was followed through with Christ. It just took a very long time for that to unfold. But what I see that as is this transformation is not up to us. Like, forgive, oh, like, yes, whoa. we are the ones forgiving, but in the end, like, God is, or the Holy Spirit, whichever, is swaying us or. Something within us is pushing us towards forgiveness. And it's not something that's entirely like our doing. Wow. Like, yes, we are a part of it, but we are not the ones fully initiating it. Okay. Super cynical takes at the end. I've <gasps> yes, got a couple. Do it. Do um, it. What do you think about A, forgiveness being either a marketing ploy or also a perpetuation or enablement of like systemic abuse? Like, because I can see it operating in both of those ways. I don't, I'm not saying it does all the time, but I'm just saying, like, in the same way that generosity can be manipulative, I think that forgiveness can also be manipulative, but also enable bad things if it's like not used in the right way. Yeah. I would still probably argue that that's not true forgiveness because the enabling version of what we might call forgiveness is sadly falling into the category for me of like forgiveness with forgetfulness Mm -hmm. sure yeah like forgiveness isn't just sweeping something under the rug exactly it's like radically getting to the roots of where the problem was and then once both parties Mm -hmm. acknowledge those roots one of them chooses to take it out of circulation that like that's the radical transformation that comes from forgiveness but if but if both Mm -hmm. parties just agree to ignore it like no forgiveness is transpired we might have we mm. like we might call it forgiveness. Honestly, I 
like that might just be a fault of our language. Like we have one umbrella term for so many different ways of bypassing conflict or dealing with conflict. Like we have one word for forgiveness in the same way. Like we have one word for love, but there are like six different ways love gets expressed in our human experience. Oof. I think that could be a part of it. I think, man, Josh, I'm taking your question that you just asked and kind of thinking of it in terms of what you asked previously about like obligatory forgiveness versus voluntary uh-huh. as well. And I'm like, I'm I'm staring at the text of the Lord's Prayer here. Like, I don't know what to Man, I love that we're closing this episode and last episode with me just being confused by the Lord's Prayer. But <laughs> maybe the next episode <laughs> needs to be on the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but like, I don't know what to make of the fact that like the dependent clause, like the phrase is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like it takes our action first in the way that this language is constructed, like the way the dependent clause is structured. Mm-hmm. Like it is not prayed. Help us forgive our debtors as you forgave us first. And in that way, like reading the Lord's prayer on face value and Mm. saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like that implies that the obligatory form of forgiveness is probably the first step and probably like almost even begrudging in a way. Mm. Like when, when a parent is teaching children how to either ask for forgiveness, offer forgiveness, or just say, sorry. Like that is very counterintuitive for a child. And usually, and thankfully, the stakes are super low for our developing psyches. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> you stole your cousin's Pokemon card, give it back, say you're sorry, and ask for forgiveness and leave the forgiveness up to him. Like when that happened to me and I had to give the Pokemon card back, like I was like, why do I have to do this? Like he doesn't even miss it. He doesn't even play mm-hmm. with it anymore. But like, there was a lesson deeper to be taught. And even then, like the forgiveness was more being offered through, well, it was more being asked by my parents of my cousin's parents. Like I was a conduit for it in some way because like, I didn't really mean it. I really wanted that Machamp card, but, (laughs) but I had to give it back to my cousin, Sam. And, and in that way, like it very much is obligatory for a lot of childhood as you're learning what, like being sorry for an action means and what asking for forgiveness means. Mm. It's very curious, but I I do think that's rooted in this, the, the way that the Lord's prayer is translated for us. And it's, we're asking for forgiveness of our debts as we actively engage in forgiving our debtors first, almost. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like getting the cart before the horse a little bit. But that's that's kind of like bit, that yeah. counterintuitive upside down nature of the kingdom of God, if we've hammered that home well enough. I see what you're saying, but I feel like it could also possibly be just like a a translation issue between languages. Yeah. Like maybe that's like the quote closest quote unquote possible. translation, but like it doesn't quite get across the idea. Like maybe it isn't saying forgive us because we forgive mm-hmm. or forgive us in the same way that we mm-hmm. forgive. Maybe it's not as dependent in the original as it seems in English, but I see what you're saying. Like it is a either way, it's, it's calling sentence. for our action as we ask for the same thing. Oh yeah, totally, to be, totally. You know, for the same coals to be heaped on our head. You know, mm. very interesting, mm. very curious. Forgiveness is a hard one. It is a hard sure. one, but it's a glorious one. Yeah, like whether it's personal or it's like 
more corporate or systemic. Mm-hmm. I think both of them are hard. Yeah. For sure. Emily, do you have any lingering questions an hour into this? Like we started with you wondering about forgiveness. Do you have any new questions or lingering questions from before? Well, Stephen, your example of returning a Pokemon card that you stole and, you know, hoping that your cousin would forgive you. What do we do in moments when we're not forgiven Mm. or when we don't forgive others? Um, And I think that's a discernment and grace question. I think it does say something that I remember the specific card I stole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like. If, yeah, if any, you're if anything, that points there, to Josh's uh, thought about like forgiving ourselves. Like I was eight when it happened. Like I even remember the age I was, but like <laughs> I feel like I've forgiven myself. And like if I ever brought it up, I don't. I don't even know if Sam would remember it. Yeah, that. Oh, hmm. That that's really all I. That's my only lingering thought. Mm-hmm. But it it takes. Yeah, I don't really know. It what takes to make of two that. to tango and to forgive. <laughs> put that on a that's what it that's what it feels like to me like it it, <laughs> it really does take like a radical coming together of the person sinned against and the sinner to both recognize the root of what just happened in order for forgiveness to take place so what about those moments where the one needing or asking for forgiveness is not there do we forgive hitler I think that you can practice forgiveness, but that does not necessitate the continuation of a relationship, whether or not that person is dead. So like forgiving Hitler, I don't even know if that's that much of a question, to be honest. Like we're not continuing the relationship, even if we can like change our perspective or attitude Mm. towards Hitler and be like, well, he was a product of his time. Like this is how he got to this place. Like our our stance on Hitler does not affect him as a person anymore because he's not existent anymore don't you think even in like but don't you think there is something and maybe this is the spouse of a counselor coming out of me (laughs) like i think there is something though with the idea of like verbally or mentally like even having the thought of forgiving hitler it does something to you that's still transformative because i think about what about those who are molested by a friend or a family member and that family member is no longer alive i think there's still room for the one who was molested or acted against to have a space to still forgive the person even if they're not there Mm -hmm. oh totally yeah well and even to like keep it personal i think that like thinking about the people who have hurt us i think that we can forgive them and even communicate that forgiveness voluntarily Mm -hmm. and still not continue a relationship with that yes. person. Like sometimes there are very real consequences, like whether in the criminal justice system or just socially, there are consequences. I think that forgiveness doesn't necessitate the continuation of a relationship. And that's part of the practicality of forgiving and not forgetting is like, I can forgive you, yeah, but we totally. both recognize that something changed between us and that boundaries need to be drawn somehow in order for us not to mm-hmm. go down this yeah. road again. And like, I find it so freeing, the concept of, like, I am able to love my neighbor from a distance. And that's how I think of, like, drawing boundaries between people who have, like, betrayed me or, like, consistently 
um, like emotionally abused me in some way. Like I can love you from a distance. I can love you with kind of like mm-hmm. maybe a general sense of love. And I will continue to work on that sense of like personally actually loving you, whether that be through praying for you or writing you a letter or something like that. But I can, I can yeah. love you from a distance for now. And I think, I think God holds space for such development that, that time necessary for some form of radical transformation. Sometimes it happens fast. Sometimes it happens mm-hmm. slow. And either way, like boundaries come with true forgiveness. Mm, I like that. I like that. Let's put that on a t-shirt. Yes. Coffee mugs, bumper stickers. Boundaries come with true forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't think I have any more uh, thoughts about this. Do you guys? No, I, I'm good. I don't have anything lingering for me. I feel very at peace. Thank you, friends. Emily, do you have a benediction for us on the way out? I think I do. Uh, Whether you are seeking forgiveness or wanting to give forgiveness, it's a concept that you may be wrestling with and may be wrestling with for all of eternity. But we know that it's a gift and it's transformative and beautiful. And it's something that we're raveling out together as individuals and as community. And God is present in this forgiveness that we may be encountering. And just know that it's always there. Welcome to the Into Podcast, where we seek to insight, insight, pursuing truth for the sake of wonder. Meet my parents. That's, That's us. us. I'm Pops. I'm the cotton candy queen. My wife, Katie. Hello. My best friend, Kevin. Am I the best friend or the wife? And me, Alex. Hey. Join us to have an honest and encouraging conversation about whatever it is that we're into. Highline Media Network, normal people in normal places.